Welcome to episode 56 of the Grassroots Guy podcast with me, your host, Harry Purdy. Today, I'm delighted to announce this guest. Um, recently discovered superstar of Ninja Warrior UK, London <laughs> Titans disabled basketball team champion, recent champion, uh, and fitness and disability advocate, Tyler Saunders. Welcome to the podcast, my man. Harry, thanks for having me, mate. So appreciate you asking me on. No, nah, no worries. It's, uh, it took a little while to get it arranged, but like you say, when it's meant to happen, it's meant to happen. Exactly that. Um, yeah, we were shooting dates backwards and forwards and a lot of the kind of rescheduling was my end, but, you know, hectic schedules. But today's the day, everything aligned and, and here we are. Yeah, 100%, my man. So, look, I want to go straight in. You, um, Tyler, have one leg. You from what I've seen of you in the like year that I've known you or known of you through uh, our man, Paul Mort, yeah. have literally proven to people that nothing is impossible. And I guess by being a disability advocate and coach that you are, is that the message that you want to spread to people? Yeah, pretty much. Um, a lot of the limitations we oppose, impose are done by ourselves um, not really by anyone else and that's something that I've always kind of struggled with a lot of kind of limiting beliefs and thinking I'm not good enough and not capable of doing certain things and that's a lot of that's come through my childhood and growing up disabled and kind of not having much physical kind of prowess essentially but in the last you know, five to six years of me being in the fitness industry, I've, I've learned so much about myself, what I'm capable of doing. I've seen the benefits to my physical health, but also my mental health. And that's something that I have experienced and I want to help other people experience also too. Yeah, that's amazing. So in regards to the Tyler Saunders we see now, you mentioned that you've made um a lot of changes within your mental capabilities, your physical capabilities, and like how you see yourself, I guess. Mm. How was the Tyler Saunders as regards to his mental health, well-being, um, his own opinion of himself five or six years ago then? Was it a completely different person? Um, yeah, slightly different. It, you know, I've always, I've always kind of struggled with limiting beliefs. Um, you know, I didn't really, I used to overthink, think, overthink a lot. I would generally kind of always worry what people think about me. And this is, again, coming from a space of, you know, growing up with a disability. You know, I was the only child that I knew with a disability. Um, and that always kind of made me want to kind of fit in. You know, I didn't want to stand out. You know, I wore a prosthetic leg most of my life again because I didn't know any different, but it was also just to have this appearance of being normal and fitting into society's norms. And that's always something that's kind of followed me throughout my life is like wanting to, I guess, be liked and wanting to be accepted and, you know, seeking a lot of validation. And there's even still elements of that in me now as like a grown man. But in, you know, the last five, six, seven years of, you know, being in the fitness industry and testing my limitations, my self-perceived limitations. I've learned that I'm, you know, capable of a lot more than I give myself credit for. And I'm, you know, stepping up to different challenges and putting myself in uncomfortable situations in order to 
I guess almost like prove myself wrong in a sense and challenge my own limiting beliefs and kind of inner negative self-talk and just yeah. see what I'm able to actually pull out the bag and I've been able to achieve a fair bit. But, you know, you always have those limiting thoughts and those negative thoughts, but it's all about kind of steering your mind away from the negative, focusing on the positive and kind of celebrating your strengths and your wins. And I have got a lot of those, which, you know, I thanks to our guy, Paul Moore as well. Um, it's just, yeah, it's just kind of feeding your inner champion. And I'm still on the journey. I'm, I'm nowhere near, you know, at peak confidence or, or peak performance. It's still a work in progress. I still have my, you know, my down days. Still have times where I, I do doubt myself and do, you know, overthink things still now. But definitely I've got more wins in my bag now, which helped me through those, through those times. Yeah, and that's, uh, as me and you are aware, looking for the wins and looking for those magic moments in our lives kind of like give us the confidence to retake on those challenges in the future. So mm -hmm. over the last five or six years where you've been looking for those challenges for yourself, taking on new things, um, providing coaching to obviously your clients as well, what is what are the biggest things that you've learned about yourself? And without looking for those wins in your in your life do you think your life would have probably remained sort of you were under that plateau kind of putting those limiting beliefs on yourself and not achieving the things that you've gone on to achieve over the last five years I mean yeah I before my kind of personal development journey like it did start a little bit before joining Unstoppable Alliance but you know, definitely got a lot more tools and a lot more recognition of wins. Whereas before, you know, I wouldn't even really dwell on those things or even and even celebrate those things. Mm -hmm. But prior to that, I, you know, you kind of just be just kind of going through life and getting through day by day, kind of not really having anything to kind of look forward to or kind of telling yourself what feelings do I want to, do I want to create and how do I want to kind of attack the day and what do I want to achieve? Like I didn't really have all of that, but now in, especially in the last two years of kind of being on the program, it's been a lot more apparent that there are wins literally all around me every day. They might be small, they might be big, but dwelling on those things and kind of celebrating those, it does help with, you know, self-confidence, self-belief. And like, even if you're not confident or you don't have the, kind of self-belief in a certain area the fact you've done x y and z before the fact that i've you know participated in some of the most difficult fitness competitions the fact that i've you know done ninja warrior and stepped out in on, on tv and you know attempted an obstacle course that a lot of you know able-bodied athletes didn't get as far as i did you know done a skydive a couple of months ago like all these things all these challenges I put myself through just show me that I do have the capability of doing things that are difficult and you know confronting fears and confronting limiting beliefs and it's ultimately helped me grow as a person again I'm, I'm nowhere near you know the final product I'm not there's no real finish line I think there's always going to be work to do but definitely the mindset I've got now helps when things get tough and, I, you know, I want to try and help other people do that as well, especially my clients and kind of people that I come across. 
hopefully if they take some inspiration and motivation from the way I live my life and the way I kind of conduct myself, then, you know, I'm happy. I didn't actually plan to be in this position at all. I didn't think I'd be working in the fitness industry or in any kind of position of kind of influence, however small or big. And that's something I probably still internally struggle with the fact that I've never really been, I've never thought that of myself, but the, the fact is I am here and I can positively affect somebody no matter where they are. So I've got to take that, you know, responsibility seriously and almost be appreciative of the fact I can do that. Yeah, 100%. I think it's amazing when you, when you say it and, um, I, remember, I listened to Paul Mort's podcast today with um, Richard Crow, and on on there, Paul mm. Mort basically admitted on the podcast that even when somebody tells him, like, or asks him, "Do you know the positive influence that you have on people?" and Paul's basically saying, "Well, no, I don't. I don't really." No, like, no. and for somebody on that spectrum, that level, that influence, and then it goes down to like somebody like yourself. It just shows, really, no matter what level you are at unless you constantly look for it and unless you constantly get told that you're having a positive influence on people, you don't, our brains just don't allow us to like celebrate that success, do they? No, of course, definitely. And you know that saying, you never know who's watching. Yeah. Like I, some days, like I'll, I'll be honest, like some days I struggle to put some content out. Like, you know, again, it's that overthinking. It's, you know, is this content going to be relevant? Are people going to engage with it? You know, X, Y, and Z, all these different things. And then I'll get a DM from somebody and like, oh, that really, you know, helped me out. And that really gave me some motivation. That that inspired me to go to the gym or, you know, I might get a message from somebody who's also disabled, somebody who's, you know, recently lost their leg, um, a parent of a child, of a disabled child. And they might say something like, you know, seeing you, in the gym or seeing you do x y and z has given me hope that this is possible or you know this is giving me the hope that my child can do x y and z and when i see those i'm like like shit like this it's actually touching people out there i might not see it or as i you know press upload on instagram whatever like i I don't know what's going to happen and obviously i don't put stuff out to get responses back but when i do get something you know somebody who's feeling really low and something that I've put out has lifted their spirits or again, kind of from a fitness standpoint, they've shown that nothing's impossible. You can do whatever you set your mind to do. It just might take a bit of time or a bit of adaptation. Yeah. When something like that comes through it, it just, it feels awesome. And it just reinforces the fact that, you know, you never know who's watching and the smallest action or the smallest behavior could affect somebody in a positive or a negative, but, you know, let's dwell on the positive. And yeah, you could affect anyone and you don't have to be in a position of influence, you know, mass influence, micro influence like me. Just, you know, you being an example to your family, your friends, your loved ones, just, you know, someone's always watching the way you conduct yourself. And that's something that rings true, I guess, for me daily now. Yeah, amazing response, amazing answer, mate. Um, I want to just like dive into your past a little bit, then, Tyler. So, mm-hmm. I mean, from from somebody that obviously I was able-bodied um, at school, well, and and it must have been a contrast for yourself, like 
because I'm sure when you were growing up, the like technology, the ability to be able to partake with other kids, especially with the development of prosthetic limbs. Like I have a mm. little bit of knowledge about prosthetic limbs. My dad's best mate, Jonathan Tucker, he um, has one and has represented England on a disability cricket level. So oh, like, awesome. okay. Um, but obviously through the years of growing up with him, I've seen like when the prosthetic leg was t- pretty Terrible. bad. To, <laughs> yes. Like now that it's re- like reasonable, but of course. What's like, it, leg? Is it leg, arm? What's he, what's uh, he yeah, leg. So it's like, leg. Okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but again, like you hear terrible stories about him, like that it doesn't fit correctly. Like he, almost walking on like um, uneven ground is I guess yeah. how you can describe it. Did you have yeah, those troubles yeah. at school and how did you cope with almost like the able-bodied lads obviously going out and playing football, basketball, whatever it may be? And mm. how did you kind of stay inclu- included or could you stay included is what I'm asking? Um, yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, advancements in prosthetics now, like it's insane what's out there. And I'm not actually that in touch with what's going on just because I, I do not wear mine at all anymore i've still got one my last most recent creation but as you said like your dad's mate they're always really uncomfortable and again again depending on where your level of amputation is it determines what kind of socket and what kind of fitting you have um so because i was born with my right leg missing from the hip i don't actually have any kind of residual limb for the leg for the kind of artificial limb to attach to so there's no stump, there's nothing that I can kind of just attach on. Where it used to fix onto me was quite uncomfortable, it was quite cumbersome. I'd have to sit in a little socket, there'd be a bit that goes around my waist, I'd have a, a strap that would come across my shoulder. So it's a really big contraption I had to kind of lug around. And growing up in school, I actually enjoyed PE. I did take part in most sports. I mean, Cross country was a bit of a bitch. I used to, try, <laughs> I used to try and I'd have my own special like route of the cross country. So we like my school was next to a really big heath um, in Hounslow, and it's called Hounslow Heath. So all the other kids used to do this massive lap, and I used to be slightly relieved. I'm like, I'm not doing that. So I used to do like a little mini lap of the playground like three times and try and beat my time. So you know that was me being included in various PE and teachers. You know the kind of awareness around disability inclusion and sports wasn't, you know, not as nearly as good as it is now, but they did their best. I did my best, you know, we did hockey, we did rugby, football, obviously, England being in England, massive sport, tried my best to include myself in that, but that's clearly all footwork and, you know, agility and all this kind of stuff. So I wasn't too great on the pitch, but I would want to still be included. And, you know, I'd end up in gold at the time which is quite an isolated position yeah. until the ball comes over and then you've got your chance to shine. But, you know, just in order to be included and still take part, that's the position I would play. And I guess like deep down it, you know, it kind of makes you feel a little bit marginalised out of the game. But the friends I had at the time, you know, they included me as best they could. I didn't feel like I was marginalised. Didn't get like bullied or picked on, but you know what kids are like, you know, kids say things they say mean things they say what they see so you know there's always things about oh you know why'd you have a limp this that and the other but as long as I could talk I've always had to explain why I had a limp or you know about my prosthetic leg and funnily enough talking about advancements in legs when 
I was when I had my one of my first ever limbs in yeah, it was a nursery, I think. No, primary school, kind of reception age. I had to there was be a button that you pressed on the knee joint for the knee to actually bend. So it wasn't like a freely moving joint. So I'd sit down and my leg would just shoot out like this. <laughs> but then it became the class. Um, it wasn't like a class joke, but it's like a running thing where people, the kids in the class would be like, can I press the button? Like, could I have a turn? Oh, mate, and yeah. I'd sit down and my leg would stick up. And then someone would come press the button and it would just gradually, you know, drop down. It wasn't like a bad experience. It's just something that I remember from like my earliest days of having to wear a prosthetic. But, you know, it kind of garnered some attention. You've, you know, felt a little bit included and you kind of let people know, look, this is my situation. So those in my class, those in my school, they knew what my situation was. And, you know, everyone did their best to include me. But I always had this underlying self-consciousness of like, how am I walking? Does my walk look as smooth as possible? You know, am I looking abnormal and standing out? And I've always had kind of had those thoughts running through my mind. But, you know, the legs, they tried their best to make them look as normal as they could. Like there'd be the metal, the kind of endoskeleton, and there'd be some foam around the outside to make the leg look as realistic as the other leg. Because really it wasn't about showing the difference, showing my uniqueness, showing my limb. Whereas a lot of the limbs now, they kind of, they look really cool. They're carbon fiber and got, you know, really cool prints on them and stuff like that. And the thing is with amputees, they had, you know, they'd wear shorts. You could see the kind of bottom half of their leg and you just see like the metal pole. And it's clearly obvious that this person is, has an amputation or it's a bubble below the knee. For me, it was all about just, you know, wearing trousers, covering it up, like not standing out, just looking as, normal as you know as possible and it got to an age later on where i you know later in my life in my kind of early mid-20s where i started to wear the leg a bit less and that's kind of where my story i say begins that's where things kind of changed in my relying less on the leg for mobility and kind of shedding this i've got to look like everyone else and i've got to have this kind of normal appearance it was, it was a lot of it was for vanity especially in my you know, late teens, most of my twenties, it was just, you know, wanting to appear normal and, and, you know, chat to girls and stuff like that. You know, I used to think I couldn't just rock up on my crutches. People wouldn't accept me. I wouldn't be, you know, respected and things like that. So these are all things going in my head, you know, in this, like now, lo and behold, we're here. I'm not wearing the leg at all and I'm achieving so much more physically growing mentally just off the back of kind of shedding my identity of having to wear the leg to be normal i know i definitely went on a tangent there but hopefully I no, man, no, it's honestly like <laughs> insane like and really um insightful and inspiring tyler i honestly i really think so do you do you remember the crunch point of saying like i don't want to wear this and you mentioned about having an identity of tyler saunders with the prosthetic leg and now Tyler Saunders who doesn't wear it at all has that been mm. like hard to shift from a mindset level um yeah good question it was hard at the time and the crunch moment I can't remember the exact year but it was definitely around kind of 2003 four I was at university actually and um 
I would wear the leg to uni, go to my lectures. And when I get home, I would take it off and just kind of hop around my student hall, my room. But that's what I'd done all my life. I'd wear the school, to, I'd wear the leg to school or to sixth form or whatever establishment. You know, I'd go to church, wear the leg. Whenever I go out in public, I put the leg on to have this normal kind of appearance. And as soon as I got home, just chuck it off in the corner and it'd just sit there till the next day. Because me hopping around, it was me in my natural state. So I'd always get home and just, you know, discard the leg and just hop around everywhere. And yeah, I actually had a partner at the time who um, said to me, like, you, you know, you, you're really uncomfortable in the leg. Like, why did you wear it out if it hurts so much? And it was almost like a pin drop. I was like, yeah, like, why, why do I put myself through that daily kind of discomfort and pain but it was something that I just done every day that's just kind of what I did going out without my leg seemed crazy at, at kind of up until that point and then yeah I started to wear it less bit by bit I actually passed my driving test at that time as well which helped massively just from an independence and travel standpoint but yeah I just started to wear the leg a bit less and that shift then at that period was quite tough kind of mentally, psychologically, because going from, you know, having the two legs and walking semi-normally to now not having a leg and like glaringly, obviously being disabled now and, and like people can see that from a distance. You know, the looks, the, the way people kind of engage with me, that was quite a challenge to begin with. Yeah. But pretty soon, you know, humans with resilient beings you know you kind of just adapt and change and I think the fact that I felt more comfortable with the leg off like I just didn't have that constant ongoing pain and ache and like sometimes wearing the leg if I hit the ground a certain way with the heel the knee would just give way just because of the kind of weight distribution and the joints and stuff like the leg would just collapse and I'd like fall in the middle of the street for like oh, no mate. reason so it's, you know things like that but you wouldn't know when it would happen when it did you kind of like just get up and brush yourself off but with not having that anymore and like obviously i'm going through crutches everything's going through my arms just generally felt a lot freer and more mobile and after a while you kind of just ignore and become immune to whatever looks that come by i actually found people were a lot more receptive to me just because you know i might approach a door on the crutches and someone's like oh should I get the door for you as before you know you just deal with it yourself you're a guy with two legs you know handle yourself so it's weird like there were pros and cons but it did start to shift and you know things gradually got better you know I still wasn't training these times I still was you know going through uni life and doing things that students do just going out eating crap who's hmm. having a pretty pretty poor lifestyle generally but I was just doing it a little bit more freely now without the limb. And again, it's only since 2015 that I've started to, you know, change my lifestyle and adopt more healthy habits, obviously training. And I, you know, I credit wheelchair basketball for that. And it came at a time where I didn't have any real kind of direction or anything to put my energy to in life. And it, yeah, it came at a time where I needed something to focus on and, in joining that and in starting that, it opened up a whole new world of meeting other disabled people with you know varying impairments, conditions, but we were all playing basketball. And that became my community and that 
became the place I kind of belonged. And then from that point, everything just kind of took off from there. Amazing, mate. We definitely will touch on basketball really shortly, but there's one thing like mm. on a mindset level that I'd love to touch on there is that when your ex-partner said to you, um, do you really need to wear that prosthetic leg? In my head, I'm thinking of comparisons to like maybe beliefs that your parents have given you in the past. Then you meet somebody new or maybe your teachers or maybe your bosses or whoever it is who have had an influence on you in, in the past have almost mm. made you feel like prosthetic limbs are just the way it is. Yeah, when actually, yeah. when somebody challenges it, that's outside of your natural bubble. So like maybe, I don't know, um, if, you're, if you've never really thought about getting on top of your sleep before until you meet somebody that's a sleep coach and they say, oh, have you thought about <laughs> doing this? Like, yeah, yeah. it's almost like a revolutionary, if you like. But what I find incredible is that just one little bit of influence and that person had no idea that it of the impact that it would have had on you, but it was outside of your norms, outside of the things that you were used to. And that little change has sparked the rest of your life as such. There I am, yeah. It's, yes, I mean, I hadn't really even thought of it that way. I mean, growing up, it's always been, you know, play it safe, you know, be normal. Not, not be normal, I don't want to say it like that, but... Like you I mentioned, get you. Like I get what you mean, though. Yeah, it's just yeah, play it safe, kind of just fit into X, Y, and Z. And like I'm an only child, I was born four months premature on top of my you know physical limitations that I've had from birth. But you know, so I've I've had a lot to overcome from day one. And you know, I think my parents, you know, they're good people. They're you know, God fearing, you know, Christians they'd always kind of wanted the best for me and obviously wanted no harm to come to me. No parent wants any harm to come to their child. So I think a lot of it was, you know, wear your prosthesis. Again, they didn't know any different either, but it was more the case of, you know, be normal, fit in. And I think I just hadn't known any different and not knowing any other disabled kids growing up, not seeing people with disabilities in, you know, the media, in television, Social media obviously wasn't anything, you know, nowhere around. The, the internet didn't really exist then either. Yeah, yeah. So it was a case of this is what you do to kind of have the most normal life possible. And yeah, that's the kind of mindset I had going through up until that point where I was challenged by someone outside who's, you know, had different life experiences than me. But just that sowing that seed or challenging that belief, yeah, made me kind of adjust my way of thinking. And lo and behold, kind of here we are. Yeah. So, I mean, I can, I can credit them for that, but, you know, I, you know I've, I've done the work, but it is oh, something 100%. that someone's got to kind of challenge you and, and make you think a little bit differently and see things differently for you to actually grow and change. So, yeah, I never yeah. thought of it like that. So cheers for... No, it's all right, man. I just thought, like, um, the other comparison, I think, is that, like, obviously, something in life that's almost like an expectation, a bit of an old school expectation now, as we're aware, is like you you grow up, you meet somebody, then you're expected to get married, then you're expected to have kids, then you're or like, mm. whatever, buy a house. You know what I mean? But obviously, get people are choosing, like people are choosing their own way around that, aren't they? But alongside that, it sounds like you had the belief of you are expected to wear a prosthetic leg because you you 
like we're born with one leg you know what I mean and that, that was mm. like another belief that was inserted into you as an early man an early young man young person growing up you've almost had to break the trend off I think that's amazing I really do yeah man it's it's been a journey and I'm still on the journey and I'm you know I'm learning a lot I'm collecting wins along the way and there's lots of blessings lots of things I've got to be grateful for like I do have a functioning leg I am healthy you know I'm, I'm in a job where I help other people improve their quality of life I've got you know a wonderful family see it like there's there's things to be grateful for all over the place and you know people might look at me and say oh you know it's a shame you're missing a leg or it must be really tough like, yeah it, it has been and at times but like the here and now, like, I, again, I've got so much to be grateful for and steer my attention onto the good in life and the positive. Like, it could always be worse. Yeah, 100%, mate. So, Tyler, you mentioned um, disabled basketball being almost like a springboard to you taking on new fitness challenges, um, getting fitter yourself and almost setting yourself up for the next phases of your life. Tell us how you got into it yeah wheelchair basketball definitely a, a, a savior for me um i've always enjoyed basketball i you know i used to follow nba back in school so when i made that transition from football i picked up basketball again you know it's a little bit more reliant on the hands you know you still got to run and stuff but you know shooting is a little bit more from you know the wrist so i was like, okay i can i can hang i can do this it does it's not all about footwork so you know nba used to watch that a lot um didn't know about the wheelchair game until i think 16 i went to my living fitting center um, in Charing cross hospitals or in london and somebody in there was like oh have you tried wheelchair basketball so no, didn't even know it was around didn't know it existed but it's a sport for primarily disabled people but non-disabled people can play as well so i founded the club near where I lived at the time um I was at 16 so it's kind of around GCSEs as well <clears throat> so I didn't get to kind of fully commit to it just again conflicting of interests you know you got to study get your head in the books and when my exams were all done and got my grades the club had you know shut down and moved to a different location but I said before like with the internet the growth the, in the Google wasn't around then the internet wasn't around then. It wasn't easy to find these kind of clubs. So from the age of 16 to 26, in the years of you know, sixth form and university, I, I wasn't playing basketball then. Didn't even know the sport existed still. But then managed to find a club in 2007. Um, near I was working part-time in, in Lavert Grove at the time as a club that was in Kensington. And yeah, just kind of joined in from there. And funnily enough, some of the people in that club were from the old club back in the day when I was 16. So it's like almost, again, things happen when they were meant to, it's gone full circle. I've now found a kind of a club, a home, doing a sport I enjoy with people, not necessarily just like me, but they are, you know, have, have had a disability to some degree. And yeah, you know, you're part of a team. I didn't grow up playing team sports and that's, you know, something that in hindsight, you know, I wish I probably did pursue a bit more, but having my limiting beliefs about physical activity, that's not something I really pursued. But basketball definitely gave me something to work towards, something to look forward to. It 
made me become more active two or three times a week. So going from like no activity, the only activity I'd get would, you know, going to a club on a Friday and two step into a garage and R&B and hip hop music. <laughs> that was the only exercise I'd get. But now I'm actually got, you know, I've got like a two hour structured training session twice a week. Um, we'd have some matches as well. So all these things, I was like, yes, like I'm really enjoying this. It then became kind of priority for me. Nothing would really, you know, I wouldn't miss training. I wouldn't miss games. It, things suddenly got pushed to the side to allow my attendance to, to this sport. And that led me into getting selected for the GB Men's Wheelchair Basketball Development Squad um, post Beijing. So Beijing Paralympics happened. I then joined the, the selection process afterwards and trained really hard, wanted to get into the squad for London um, and Rio as well. Unfortunately, those things didn't happen. But again, you learn a lot from any situation, any environment that you're in or you, you try to or you should do. And essentially that put me on my path to better health, better fitness and, and choosing fitness as a career. Um, I went to Germany. So the kind of biggest turning point for me, I guess, in realizing how important fitness was to me was when I left the UK to go and play in Germany. So the reason I did that was all of the top level players in the GB squad at the time, they were all playing in Germany, Spain or Italy. Oh, wow. Which are some of the biggest countries in Europe for basketball because it's like a national sport after football. Like in the UK, basketball's like way, way, way at the down. bottom. Like it, yeah. yeah, like it's just not really respected as a sport here. Even though it's probably one of the most widely participated sports, but just as a British sport, it's not really there. So, you know, you go to these countries and you play for a club and you get, you know, a decent wage, you get put up in accommodation, the club covers your travel to and from games they might fly you in and out of the country as well so the standard of life and the standard of quality of playing the sport is way higher and I thought well if I want to be as good as the guys above me if not better I've got to do what they do so that meant like quitting my job going to play in Germany and just kind of immersing myself in that culture and in that high level of playing and it was you know one of the best things I've done just from a kind of fitness standpoint and a mindset standpoint and just what I learned from the people in my team and just the people in that league generally. And I did that for three years. So from 2015 to 20, 2012 to 2015, it got to a point where I had to decide if I still wanted to continue on the route for, you know, national team, um, decided against it, you know, retired and then came back to the UK in 2015. And I was like, right, I've seen the benefits to my, my health, my well-being, my you know mental toughness, resilience, discipline, all these things. I was like, oh, I don't want to go back to my office job. <laughs> and, and that's when, you know, kind of looked around personal training diploma and just done that. And from then, I've just literally been working in a gym and having, I'd like to think, a positive impact on, on many people. But all of that came around from basically going to a basketball session one day and the rest is history. Mate, that's so good. Such an amazing story and like some incredible experiences as well. Mm. How would you describe wheelchair basketball as a comparison to like normal basketball? The running game. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. In regards to the physical toughness and the how it's played. Oh, this, 
it's hard to believe, but it's actually a non-contact sport. When you look at it, you're like, is it? You know, you're like, yeah, no, don't, this is you the most physical game. Now, yeah, yeah. There's there's the most contact. This it's definitely not a non-contact sport, but the contact has to be within the rules and the parameters of the game. So, you know, there's lots of. It's actually one of the most exciting Paralympic sports, or even just disability sports generally. Um, you know, the chairs move really quickly. They're really light but really strong. You know, you've got different levels of ability depending on the player and their kind of the level of their disability. There's you know thrills there's spills there's crashes there's tumbles you know the court markings don't change the height of the ring isn't changed like everything's the exact same as the running game there's just a couple of tweaks in some of the rules like you know we don't have double dribble you can we still travel like there's everything's pretty much still the same so a lot of our guys in chairs like will shoot three pointers the same distance as the standing guys but the power that comes from having to sit in a chair and shoot is way different to just jumping in the air and flicking the wrist. So yeah, yeah. when people see the sport, they're like, like you guys are actually like amazing at what you do, like the control, the the speed, the power, the explosiveness. And it's one of the most enjoyable sports to watch. Um it it's not as violent as like wheelchair rugby. Like there's not as many intentional collisions because obviously you get called for a foul, you might hurt yourself, you get sent off. But yeah, people watch it and they think, you know, this is an amazing sport. People who try it, we do a lot of kind of hospitality days and have a go days for, for team building, for companies. You know, people come in and they just can't control the chair. It's one of the hardest things to do. But by, you know, 20 minutes of giving them the drills and the basics, everyone's having a great time. Everyone's kind of wheeling around doing like bumper car crashes and stuff. And <laughs> everyone just has a great time. But then after the session's done, Everyone's like, bloody hell, my neck, my shoulders, my back, my heart, like everything in this upper region, in the upper torso is being worked to some degree. And I think people really respect how much goes into playing the sport. I mean, I underestimated it massively when I started. I, I was horrendous because I don't use a, a, a wheelchair in my everyday life. So then to learn how to navigate the chair plus you know abide by the rules of you know bouncing the ball and shooting the ball whilst the chair's moving it was really tough first you know few maybe six months I just used to leave training just pissed off every session because I just felt I wasn't getting any better and then you know just you know you hear coach say it, hear Paul say it repetition is a mother of skill you keep doing the same thing again and again you learn you pick up things from other people you keep practicing and then before you know it things start flowing a lot easier and you know i'd like to think i'm i'm a decent player now <laughs> i'd like to think yeah I'm man 100 i can imagine so um so little shout out to your team then london titans i've seen you won a competition recently tell us a little bit about that yeah yeah, yeah. uh yeah so that is that's been 15 years in the making since i've been at the club we've always kind of came third fourth a lot of the teams from up north they've been stronger than us um just through i guess like the older national team players kind of filtering back into their home clubs and sharing the knowledge with the younger players coming up so a lot of the northern teams have always been like the powerhouses and we were strong but we just would never really get to pick that top spot but yeah the big day happened two weeks ago we had the the national league finals the championships 
in um, Uni of East London and we had like coverage from the BBC so it was awesome amazing and yeah like we we battled against a really strong team from Coventry and yeah we we managed to get the job done it was it was you know it was a tough win we've played them in the season where they've beaten us and then we've beaten them and the whole league was really strong overall this year there wasn't just like one strong team there were like four or five that could have easily taken that top spot but yeah this year it was our time and we were just happy to kind of get the job done so yeah proud moment yeah but then with most highs comes lows because now we're like we haven't got training for like four weeks what do we do it's that kind of off that off season lull where you're like okay what next but really this is when we should put in the most work and this is where like the kind of heavy gym sessions kick in and like the strength training kicks in and the circuits and all the all the beastly work should be doing we should start doing you know next month onwards because season starts again i think late september yeah man i think it's uh jose Mourinho that says uh the off season after winning a trophy is where champions are made because obviously 75% of players um, would go into sort of chill mode. Like you can imagine mm-hmm. you're like big time footballers on a, or basketball players for even that matter, whatever it is, whatever your sport, almost going into a, uh, a state of um, like being too confident, if you like. Yeah, so now yeah, yeah. it's the time to work extra hard and be that 25% and go and retain that title next year, my man. That is it, mate. That is it. That's the plan. Good stuff. So um, this is what I, I want to speak to you about Ninja Warrior UK and how that opportunity came about and just the experience because it looks mad, mate. Um, <sighs> mate. So it how, did it, how did it happen? Did you apply? Did you just think, fuck it? Or So funny enough, at that time of the whole Ninja Warrior thing happening, like my Instagram handle was one-legged ninja. So I had it as a kind of, it was an eye-catching kind of handle. A lot of the content I put out at the time would be me doing like kind of calisthenics, body weight, gymnastics movements. You know, I might go into central London and just do something crazy in like the middle of a packed into like Trafalgar Square, let's say, and things like that kind of just garnered a lot of attention for my socials at the time. That was the kind of the strategy. But people had said, oh, you should try Ninja Warrior. You should go on the show. And I was like, ah, yeah, you know, it sounds fun, but it's not something that was kind of on my radar, on my horizon. And then just somehow a casting email from them ended up in my inbox. And I was like, oh, well, this is, this is fate. Surely, like, you know, what, what other perfect time then to you know, apply for it. And I did, like filled out the form, um, didn't really think much of it and then got an invite saying, congrats, you made it through to the kind of selection process or the testing round. So went to a CrossFit box in central London and he did some various fitness tests. Um, yeah, like balancing and climbing ropes and broad jumps and things like that, kind of shuttle runs, bleep tests, just to see how your base level of fitness was again passed through that so I was like okay happy days and then got the email to say congrats you've made it you've shortlisted to the finals I was like oh wow this this is actually happening amazing and then we had to go up to Manchester for the filming um so I took the train up there I can't remember what arena it was but we all were there anyway like everyone's just nervous like just looking around nervously everyone's kind of bricking it shitting themselves and we all got put in this big room big screen so we all get to see everybody who's doing 
each individual run. And to be fair, it was like the nerves of just sitting in there, you know, the nerves just building up, you're seeing everyone attempting their run. Some people are succeeding, some people are failing. And you just never know when your name's going to be called next. So yeah, the day went on and it, it, was, it was great people. We had a good bit of banter in there and everyone's kind of encouraging each other when we're watching each contestant on the screen. But then when it was my turn to go on, like, I don't know, I can't even describe how nervous I was at the time. At that time, it was the most nerve-wracking thing I'd ever done. So, you know, the feelings of, you know, nervousness and nausea, and I, you know, almost felt sick to a point. But then they called my name and I was like, okay, this is it now. I've got, I've got to do it. I can't back out now. And yeah, eventually just hopped down the stairs, just looked at it. It was all quite surreal. Didn't even hear the crowd or anything. It was literally just me standing there looking at the obstacles ahead. And yeah, did the first two. Um, and then obviously fell in on the third one where you had to jump on those big round balls that spun around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what was funny was we you don't know what you what you get to do until you get there on the day and then they show you what the obstacles are. So you can train as best as you can. And I think that that's the whole premise of it. You've got to be ready to tackle anything. So you never get the kind of obstacles in advance so you can train best for it. You just got to be ready to tackle whatever like a you know a true ninja does and um when they showed us the actual obstacles and somebody did the professional route you know i looked at that the balls and i was like you know i don't think i can do that that's going to be quite hard for me have you got any advice any tips any any alternatives they're like nah you you just got to give it a go ride or it's die like, <laughs> yeah basically just like you can do this and try that you can try that and they actually said, you know, we understand this is quite challenging for yourself and like someone of your kind of capability. You could come back tomorrow because there'll be a slight variation of the course, which might be slightly easier. And I said, well, I'm, I've traveled up here two and a half hours on the train. I'm, I'm already here. So let's just give it a go now. Like, I, I, you know, why am I going to go back home to then come back tomorrow? It's like, I'm here now. Let's just, just give it a shot and see what we get. And yeah, I gave it my best shot. It didn't oh, it didn't go to plan, but you know, it was a again a challenge of fear, kind of stepping way out of my comfort zone and essentially just stepping up to something that was seemingly impossible to achieve. And yeah, man. Kind of hoping for the best. And what, what to top that all off as well, what the craziest thing was, like if I had got through all of the course, you know, you've got that wall at the end. Yeah that's the bit I knew I wasn't going to get up it because I've tried it before and it's, it is virtually impossible for me to do. So I knew that even if I got through five of the previous obstacles, I'd get to that point and probably fail anyway. Yeah. So it's like, what's the point of doing it? But why not? Like I thought to myself, I've had, I've got this far, I've been given the opportunity to actually take part on the show. Let's just see what happens. And yeah, it didn't, quite go to plan but I got further than some people and the amount of support and like just the buzz that it generated off the back of when it was aired the next year it was really it was, it was overwhelming it was it was like insane one of the most kind of special times I'll always kind of dwell back on it as a proud moment of mine yeah 100% but in that note they've now started casting for the next season which I thought wasn't going to happen because of COVID but 
the, the, the familiar Ninja Warrior emails dropped back into my inbox a few weeks back. They're like, hey, we're recording season six. Like, are you in? And I was like, hell yes, I'm in. Go back, back for round again. two, mate. See if yeah, you can man, beat of course. this time. Yes, unfinished business. So, again, I don't know what to expect. I don't know what obstacles they're going to have, but go there and give it a shot and be like, yeah, I'm back again. Let's give this another crack. Amazing, mate. It's amazing. Like, honestly, I take my hat off to Um Tyler, I want to just go into a couple more questions to finish off our like podcast episode today. I want to um, put put the ball in your coaching court, really, and say to not just for uh, somebody struggling with limiting beliefs with their own disability, but just limiting be- beliefs in general, um, negative self-talk, uh, struggling with like confidence issues. What are your go-to tips and advice for those people? Um, some advice for those people. I would say a lot of limiting beliefs come from ourselves. A lot of them will come from kind of upbringing and maybe things that might have been passed onto us from kind of outside sources. But those things don't stick like they're they're not they're not facts they're not your truth like you can change that but it's all down to kind of your perception and how you how you view things and how you go about kind of living your life you can believe these things and kind of listen to that self-chatter or you can kind of challenge it you can think differently you can kind of steer your mind onto what you are good at what you can do, what strengths you do have, and kind of run with those. It takes a lot of time because we're, again, like you mentioned it earlier, we are like negatively wired. We are kind of driven to focus on what we're not good at, you know, the, the bad things about us, what we haven't achieved, how far away we are from our goal. But again, if you just change your perception, change your lenses and just think about, okay, what is good? What am I good at? what good things have I achieved? It, it kind of just changes the way you feel, changes your state, and it allows you to kind of push through with a bit more confidence. Um, again, like I said, I'm not, I'm not the finished product. I'm not, you know, exactly where I want to be yet. But then again, you know, the finish line's never really quite set. You've always got a bit more to do. There's always a bit more to learn. The, the, the goalposts move. But you progress. It's all about the journey of who you're becoming rather than the kind of destination. Amazing answer. That makes sense. Yeah, no, mm. perfect. So, Tyler, with regards to yourself, you're national basketball champion. You've done a skydive. You've been on Ninja Warrior UK uh, pending round two. What is next for Tyler Saunders? Uh, what is next? Um, this quarter, what am I doing this quarter? I've, I've got... I'm starting my own podcast. That's yes, one of my, um, again, it all ties into kind of limiting beliefs. So I'm, I'm doing that to kind of challenge one of my limiting beliefs of, you know, the whole kind of presenting and, and conversation, the art of conversation. And that's just something I've thought, right, I'm going to do this to challenge myself and use it as an opportunity to grow. So that's something I'm working on at the moment. From a fitness standpoint, I've got a few events coming up, um, National Fitness Games, that's coming up at the end of June. Um, we've got the SAS 
the the fan yes. dance as well. That is a big one. Um, again, all of the the mental chatter, all of the not limiting beliefs, because I think I'm at a point now where I'm I'm at, I'm confident enough in my physical capabilities to tackle things head on. It'll be hard, like th- you know, not to say these things are easy and it will be a breeze, but you know that's coming up. That's something to work towards. Um, what else is happening? Lots of stuff. Just trying to think of what's the big. Mate, I think I think one thing I've gathered. Yeah, sorry. One thing I've gathered from you is you're a father. You're a machine. You play basketball at amazing level. You take on challenges left, right, and center. You throw yourself on national TV. I think um, there's no stopping Tyler Saunders, to be honest with you. And I'm excited as uh, Alliance compatriot um, and now I'll say a friend to see what you yep. can do next, mate. So um, if if my listeners want to come and find you and see what you are going to get up to next, where can they come and find you, Tyler? Um, on Instagram, you can find me at I am Tyler Saunders. Um, same on TikTok, even though I haven't really spent much time on TikTok yet. I need to do a bit more. Everyone's following the more. Gary V vibe on that one, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. It's just that shift of, you know, Instagram's, you know, big. It's still what it is. Facebook's still big for what it does, but yeah, there's just that shift of, you know, TikTok does have some power. So, but you know, with socials, just like you know, juggling all oh, these different things. So like, many, do so I have Do I have the time to now add another platform in and make content for this as well? But again, that's the limiting belief. You know, people change and adapt to new trends, so you've got to keep up with the times. But yeah, that's me there. Um, I rarely use Twitter, but you know, I'm Tyler Saunders there. But Instagram's the main thing. Um, website www.tylersaunders.co.uk. Perfect. Uh, have there. you enjoyed your experience on the Grassroots Guy podcast? Uh, 100%, mate. Um, I'm glad it's happened. And yeah, looking forward to getting you on my pod when it's all up and running as well. Oh, mate, I'll have to hold you to that one. Um, this <laughs> yeah, has been episode 56 of the Grassroots Guy podcast with me, your host, Harry Purdy. You can find me at the Grassroots Guy on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook, not TikTok just yet. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to leave a five-star review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, that would help the podcast a long, long way. And if you do, do want to get in touch with me or Tyler, drop me an email at grassrootsguypod at gmail.com and we will answer any questions that you have, any advice, anything you need. Uh, it has been episode 56. It's cheerio from me and cheerio from Tyler. Cheers, man. Thanks for having Take me Take it on. easy. Thanks very much. Cheers, guys.